Welcome to the Joe Schmo Theology Podcast, where we discuss confessions. I ain't confessing nothing! Reformed theology. I don't know what either of those words mean. And apologetics. I am not apologizing for anything either. I am your host, Adam D. Murray, and joined with me today on this program is my brother, Aaron D. Murray. All right, stop. I'm recording here. <laughs> Episode 8? Are we on 8? I don't even know. I think we're on 8. Episode 8 of Joe Schmo Theology, the podcast where two dummies talk about smart things. Mm-hmm. Whoop, whoop, in case you didn't know, I am Aaron the Presbyterian, and... I'm Adam the Baptist. All right. Not to be confused with John the Baptist. Who wasn't actually a Baptist. Who was not a Presbyterian. He was a baptizer. Baptizer. All right. Baptizer. So anyways, obviously we're going to be talking about infant baptism over against credo baptism or under against credo baptism, depending on who you are. But before we get that, I'd love to know how you've been. I see that uh, your beard is starting to make a comeback. It is making a. It is it's, making it's, a comeback. It's making a. It's making a comeback. Would you say it's delicious? Ah, uh, not yet. Not delicious. It's not yet delicious. I can't go full beard, and you, I'll tell you. Dude, I'll tell you why, why not? You have like a luscious, like the follicles no, I mean, on I your could, face I could are totally beautiful. Grow one. I mean, that's not the problem. It's just you know, Hannah doesn't. You know, she doesn't really like it. Tell Hannah to suck it up. Yeah. Hannah, suck it up. You tell. Okay, I was. About to I say, just you did. Tell Hannah I, to I suck just it up. did. Um, so what's funny though about this beard that Adam is growing back is oh, it comes no. into my garage where do I, I, get to, do, I get where, to tell it? do you want to tell it? So I walk out in the garage and my that's, garage that's where we're about to cast that's where we're casting now and there was just stuff everywhere our table was full of things and I'm moving this stuff off Aaron's got bow and arrows and stuff everywhere so I'm like clearing Hunting it out season's coming up man and I find this beard brush that is just awesome it's not I'm a like, beard brush I'm like. You know what? My beard's a little scraggly. Right I don't now. use it for beards. I, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna use this brush and just kind of work my beard out. So I'm working on it. And Aaron comes out in the garage and goes, "Dude, that's my dog's brush. I brushed my dog with that." Yeah, I was allergic to dogs. I'm so allergic to his dog. <laughs> we'll see how the rest of this cast goes. I can feel it already. Yeah, but so, no, hey, the brush did wonders. I mean, doesn't it look good? It looks fantastic. Yeah, I thought so. Please, so, please never shave it again. Uh. I might go goatee soon, actually. Okay, I could see the goatee. I might go goatee. You, you look good with the goatee. We'll see. We'll see how it works. Uh, so anyway, my week, uh-huh. uh, my last couple weeks, have been really good. Um, but I won't really tell you about the last few days because I've slept and I don't remember things. So, oh, I thought you were say you slept the whole, like, two weeks. Well, I did get to go, actually, back up. Hang on, hang on. Do not, I, I don't want to hear about you going on a trip with Hannah and her family to a cabin because I feel like you say that every other cast. Okay, so I may or may not have done that. And it, was, it may or may not have been really good. Um, and I may or may not have rode an awesome jet ski. And I may or may not Dude, have, jet skis are awesome. May or may not have tried to throw Hannah. And she may or may not have almost taken me with her. But that's beside the point because you don't want to hear about it. Um, <laughs> this, uh, this weekend, um, I work with the student ministries of, of my church. And this weekend was our fall retreat. So we went out to uh, Spring Hill camps in southern Indiana. And had a just a it was just such a sweet time, man. It really was. Um, we had a guy named Tony Sorcy from Bethel Church, not the Bethel Church you're thinking. I didn't of. say anything. <laughs> I didn't say anything. Uh, a church in Northern Indiana, um, and he, his name's Tony Sorcy. He came. He he taught. He brought the word. It was awesome. 
Um, the dude had a luscious beard. It was mm. it was down to his chest type thing. When he moved his head, it would like jiggle. It was, Flow. It was awesome. So anyway, uh, really cool guy. Brought the word and, and uh, several different messages. One of them was just the gospel uh, in general. Um, quoting from, you know, borrowing from Martin Luther a lot. And like God's left-handed judgment and his right-handed judgment. Right-handed judgment is what we deserve. Our condemnation. Like God's wrath poured out on us. And left-handed was what was poured out on Christ on our behalf. Um, talked about identity in Christ. Um, talked about confessing sins and bearing each other's burdens and these kind of things that we were just talking about. So it was really a sweet time. Um, really good, really good time with uh, with my my guys and my group. So saw a lot of them kind of step out into leadership that I hadn't seen before, and that was good. really encouraging. Yeah. Um, and so it was also cool to see because last year was we just did individual groups. I had my own small group. This year we're kind of merging some of them. So I have a co-leader now. And uh, so we kind of had two separate groups come together as one. And they just did an awesome job bringing each other in. And, um, yeah, they just bonded really well. So I was really excited about the whole thing. I was really convicted in a lot of ways myself. Um, so just kind of kind of thinking about a lot of those things over the last few days. But also a little worn down because kids, kids have energy. Uh-huh. I do not. Um, so that was great. So let me tell you about this guy, Tony Sorcy. Right? Okay. Tell me about him. Reform guy, awesome guy, awesome beard. He's got the ink up and down his arms, you know, kind of thing. He basically looked like Joe Thorne except taller and skinnier. And so I came up to him at the was end of bald? it. Was he bald? He was completely right. bald. And I came up to him and I was like, hey man, you even dress like him sometimes. I'm like... Dude, has anyone ever told you you look like a taller, handsomer version of Joe Thor? He goes, let me tell you a story. <laughs> so I know Joe. Joe and I are friends. And uh, he's like, I was at this conference with Joe. And obviously Joe's speaking and I'm just, you know, there as a guy. Sure. And uh, later in that week, some guy came up to me. This big dude looked like an offensive lineman. He came up to me. He's like, hey, man, I was really encouraged and convicted by some of the things you were saying. Like, you really brought the word. And he's like, hey, man. I am not five five. <laughs> He's like, let me introduce you to Joe Thorne. So uh, I love it was, it. yeah. So it was. I was. I got a chuckle out of that. But it's a really cool weekend. So anyway, how was your last couple weeks? That's been good. I mean, you mentioned I've got my uh, bows and quiver and all that stuff all over the garage right now, prepping for uh, <clears throat> hunting season, which which starts here in about a month. Hunting rabbits. Uh, whatever. I mean, duck, duck season. No. Okay. White-tailed deer. Oh. Yeah. Um. Let me ask you this. Okay. If you were to actually kill something, yes. which I know you won't, because I've seen you shoot a bow. Uh, sir! <laughs> but if you did... I am quite the marksman, what, what let me tell you, you. What would you do with it? I would cut its belly open, I'd clean it, and then I would take it to a butcher. Have you ever done that before? I, I'll let you... I mean, <laughs> we'll I've see. been to a butcher, I've been to a butcher we'll, before, we'll, yes. We'll see how it goes. I've been okay. to a butcher. Alright, so you're going to go hunting. Yeah. But that's not the story. So, the story is... There is a fine gentleman from uh, church, and he very, very graciously gave me like a thousand dollars worth of hunting equipment. Nice. So you should sell it and fix your AC unit. Uh uh huh. <laughs> I need to provide meat for my family <laughs> okay, during right. the winter time. Cool. The AC can wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but one of those things was this fantastic compound bow. That, I mean, I don't have a compound bow. I've got a crossbow. I've got a recurve, but I don't have a compound. Um, so he gave it to me. He, he injured his shoulder, and so he can't really use it anymore. So he 
kindly gave it to me. This thing is incredible. So it's got you. Can, I'm not gonna bore you with the schematics of the thing, but Thank you can you. you can hit hunt anything from rabbits, squirrels to grizzlies and moose. Okay, it's it's incredible. So, anyways, that that Sunday that he gave it to me, I was out shooting in my backyard, just feeling it out and everything. And then I had a buddy come over um, while I was shooting, so I was like, "Hey, yeah, hey, let me you want to shoot with me?" So I was like, "Sure." So. He takes it and he starts to pull it back and it's got a 70 pound draw on it so it's not you know super super easy to pull back if you're not expecting it at least and so he pulls it back about halfway and then the arrow kind of slips out of the knock and <clears throat> he fires it so he kind of essentially dry fires it and the whole bow comes out of the pulleys and all that stuff which was very sad mm. but and i was i was very frustrated but the kicker was uh that like a few hours before that uh, my pastor just preached on patience from from the spirit. <laughs> of course, like, I did. Dang it, God! Why would you do this to me? <laughs> so for your sanctification. So for my sanctification, indeed. Yeah, uh, but I mean, it's not busted, so it's not a big deal. I just have to figure out how to restring it. Nice. So it's it's an incredible bow. It's mm. awesome. But I also made a purchase. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, we just talked about you no, thinking no, about no, getting no, it. No, nothing like that. Okay, no, all right, not a ring. Purchase was like one hundred and thirty dollars. Wow, that's a really cheap ring. Yeah, it was that's tragic. pathetic. Yeah, <laughs> it was just a succession of those ring pops. Actually. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, so I've got a lot of them. Uh, no, I. Uh, you decided... say no. <laughs> you don't like green. How about blue? <laughs> uh, options, different emeralds. So anyway, so I decided. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna try and get into a new sport. I was like, you know what? I like listening to podcasts. Uh-huh. I like being outside. I live right off of the Monon Trail. Why not get a road bike and try and make a habit of going on a bike ride every night or something like that, listening to some stuff, uh-huh. become James White over time. That's my goal. So, an evening James White. An evening James White. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm not getting up early. Please. So you just shave your head? For Halloween. Maybe that's when the goatee's going to come yeah. into play. Well, he's kind of more like a, like a goat. What's that called? The uh, soul patch kind of a thing. Like a half goat tease, like a go. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, so I got that, and guess what happened? You wrecked it. Nope. I got it. It came in a box, and I was like, gotta put it together. (laughs) So I opened up the box. I didn't even take anything out of the box. I look in. The back wheel's completely bent. Oh my gosh. And the front wheel was snapped in half. And I was like, are you kidding me? So I took it back, and I got a new one. Where'd you order this from? I made them assemble it. It doesn't matter. Where'd you order from? Walmart. 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 But they refunded me and they gave me a new one. And oh I wrote it today and it was awesome. So deal with it. Okay. All right. So baptism. Baptism. All right. <laughs> well, first, let me let me just give a quick, couple quick thoughts. Uh-huh. So when we talk about baptism, we're going to disagree. Um, but I want to make sure that people understand that this is not a topic where we want to be divisive. Like we want, like we're going to disagree obviously. And like, there needs to be disagreement. Like I'm not going to become a a member of a Presbyterian church. Aaron wouldn't become a member of a Baptist church. Like ever. Right. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Gracious. But, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that this should be something that divides Presbyterian and Baptist brothers and sisters in Christ from doing ministry together. Aaron and I have done evangelism together. We've done youth you know, retreats and things together. Um, so as we talk about this, I don't know how it's going to go. I'm probably going to get <laughs> no, schooled here. but You've been doing a lot of research. <clears throat> but stuff, with that being said, I want this to be a conversation that is a doorway to you guys studying these things. We're going to give you resources, um, things to go check out yourself and come to your conclusions on. But uh, don't let it be something that divides you from brothers and sisters who love the Lord and 
are, are called to do the work too. So right. anyway, so uh, maybe talk about the four. This is going to be a little bit different because we obviously um, we're, we're not on the same page exactly on this. So in the normal cast, we've kind of <clears throat> gone back and forth and talked about the same subject. This is going to be a little bit different, whereas one of us is going to give uh, a case for our position, then then the other one will respond to that, giving their case. Then we'll do the game like normal, and then after the game, we'll kind of just go back and forth asking each other some questions and some clarification thing, which I think will be helpful for both you and I and for anybody listening. Sure. So it's going to be a little bit different, um, and I'm looking forward to it. I like what you said in the beginning because this definitely has the ingredients to divide people, and I know I've been guilty of this. Just You just get too heated, and you just get too frustrated. So if we get, if we get to that point, we're going to stop. Um, cause we, we don't want to do that. I don't think we will. I don't think so either. But, but we will. So, so we're going to flip a, uh, a bottle cap here to see who goes first. So do you want, do you want the heads or the tails? Uh, I'll take this the is top. heads. Yeah, I'll take which heads. is, which is heads. Right. Yep. Okay. All right. You go first. Wait, don't I get to choose? I won the toss. I get to decide if I want to receive. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Go for it. You want me to go first? Yeah, I want you to go first. Okay. I think we should do a recall then. <laughs> Why? No, that's fine. It's kick or receive. That's man. fine. That's okay. Works. Well, I don't play sports. I don't know yeah. what this means, kick or receive. Right. Also, the Jets suck, in case anyone was wondering. What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I don't know. We were talking about kick or receive. I'm all frustrated. So okay. All right. So, baptism. When we talk about <laughs> baptism, I think our, our initial reaction and response is going to want to start in the New Testament. We're going to want to start with John the Baptist. We're going to want to start with the book of Acts. Um, and that, that may be a fine place um, to, to look at, but I think you have to lay some groundwork first. Um, you have to take into account all of the um, revealed knowledge that we have in the scriptures on baptism, on covenants, on sacraments or ordinances, as you would say, which I don't have a problem with that word. Either, either one is, is just fine to me. Um, but I think as we look at scripture, we see that God relates to his people covenantally. Um, and we've done an episode of on, on covenant theology. So if you don't know what I mean by that, go back and, and re-listen to that episode. And hopefully that will be helpful. Um, but that's kind of where we have to start. So we have to start with um, the book of Genesis. And I know we've said this in the past three casts. you got to start with in the beginning God, right? So we've got that. We've got Adam and Eve. We have the fall. We have God making the covenant of grace with Adam and Eve. Um, the uh, the uh, Proto-Evangelion or whatever you said in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I think I call it the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei. The Imago Dei. <laughs> right. So, so we start with that. God making a covenant with Adam and Eve that through their line, through their seed, um, will come a redeemer, will come the head crusher of the snake. And as we continue on, we see God making a covenant with Noah. Um, they build this ark and all this stuff. And then after they build the ark and the flood comes and uh, no one and his family are saved, God gives the rainbow. And then the next covenant <clears throat> is the Abrahamic covenant. And so we, we first see, I, I think it's in Genesis 12, where God calls Abraham out of Ur, of the Chaldeans, which is basically, um, it becomes Babylon later on. So he calls this man out, not because of anything that Abraham has done, but because God chose him because uh, he's God. And so he calls him out, and in Genesis 15, um, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, 
Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be, and a member of my household will be my heir. Aaron the right. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him: This man shall not be your heir; your very own son shall be your heir. And he uh, brought him out and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, um, then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So you have God coming here in Genesis 15, um, telling Abraham, I will give you seed. I will, I will give you offspring. Um, and Abraham believed him, and it says he, he counted it to him as righteousness. So this is... I guess you could say this is the the point of regeneration for Abraham. And we see this again, um, kind of Paul confirms that in Romans 4. So you can look that up. I don't, I'm not going to go there. Uh, but we see Abraham is, is a regenerate uh, Christian or regenerate follower of Yahweh now. Before or after the covenant? Uh, this, this is God makes the covenant. Abraham believes and he counted it to him as righteousness. Okay. So this is, you know, uh, grace through faith okay. type of thing. So then uh, years go by, and now we're back in Genesis 17 here. And when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be your uh, God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you an offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So you have... Again, God reiterating this covenant with him. And then it goes on to say, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And then it goes on to say, you know, he was eight days old. Any, anybody... Um, who is in his household is to be circumcised. Every male among him is to be circumcised. And if they're not circumcised, they'll be cut off from it because they have broken the covenant. So um, th this is God saying, you know, here, here you are. You, you, are my, you are my people, um, and I'm going to bless you. And from you, ultimately, is going to come Christ, right? So this is, again, a reiteration of the covenant of grace. Um, and what he gives to Abraham as a sign and a seal of this is circumcision. So he says, basically, if you want to remember this, that, that I'm making my covenant with you, this is how you're going to remember through circumcision. Okay, so not not to be crass, but you've got, you know, back in Genesis 15, Abraham was doubting, really? Where, where, where is a child? And then in Genesis 17, he still has no child. And so God gives him a sign, a very, very visible sign that he's going to see every single day. Um, to remind him that God has made a covenant with him and that God keeps his promises. And then not only he is to receive that sign, but everyone in his household is to receive that sign. So if you go on to read um, in, in Genesis 17, it talks about Ishmael being uh, one who is to receive that sign. So I'm not going to read it all. I'll, I'll let you guys read Genesis 17. But the, the idea and the gist of Genesis 17 is after everything that I just read, 
Abraham still doubts, okay, you know, where is, where is the seed going to come from? Um, I have Ishmael here. Uh, we, we know that uh, he had Ishmael with a servant girl of his because Sarah told him to because they didn't believe God would keep his promises. And so they have this pseudo-bastard child and uh, who, who is not to receive the, the blessings. So Abraham even says in Genesis 17, well, why, don't, why doesn't this just go to Ishmael? And God says, no, it's not going to go to Ishmael. I'll, I'll bless Ishmael. I'll, I'll give him all kinds of uh, temporal blessings, but he is not the one who is part of the covenant. And yet we see in Genesis 17, 22, that God tells him, give Ishmael the sign. Give him the sign of circumcision, even though he is not part of the actual covenant. Or he is not part of, he is not the one who Christ is going to come through. So he's he's participating and experiencing the covenantal blessings, but he's not the one who Christ is going to come from ultimately. So we, we have to ask, okay, this is this is very interesting. What's this got to do with baptism? And we're going to get there. We just have to lay, lay some groundwork. So are, are you following with me so far? Yeah. Okay. All right. I just... If you have any questions while I'm doing this, feel free to ask. Like we don't have to limit the, the questions to just the question time. No, it's it's fine. Sure. I mean, I, I've been kind of working on my own thing, so. Oh, so you're not even listening to me? I have been listening to okay, you. Okay, so but I'm just saying that from here on, I'll ask more questions. Okay, all right, back, interesting. Back. So you're, you're not, I mean, I don't even know if you're interested in truth because you're, if you're just like zoning out, not even paying attention. See, what you what you are saying is actually backwards. I am interested in truth, uh-huh. which is why I'm doing my own oh, thing. Oh, so you're Rather ignoring me. Gotcha. Okay, I see. Right, right, I see. Man, right. I'm, I'm glad you have the humility to say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, here, here's a question that, that we have to ask. Uh, what, what's really happening here in, in Genesis 17? And, and we obviously know that, you know, the sign is being given. God is, you know, reiterating this covenant that he's made with, with uh, Abraham. But Go, when we go to Galatians chapter 3, um, Paul here is talking about Abraham. So this is Galatians 3, uh, starting in verse 10. So it says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for righteousness shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So I, I bring that up to say when, when God gives Abraham this covenant and he gives him this sign of circumcision, what he is giving him is the spirit. Right? He is giving him the Holy Spirit. Now, it's different than the way we experience it now. We'll talk about the New Covenant and how there's a much greater outpouring of the Spirit in the New Covenant um, compared to the Old Covenant. But we very much do have regeneration and we have the Spirit um, being, being involved here. So that's very important and it's going to come up later. But we have regeneration. We have the Spirit given to Abraham. That's that's the promise. Um, that's the reality. And then we have Abraham circumcising Ishmael who, and, and Isaac later on. And one of them has a spirit, the other one does not. But the sign is still given to both. So <clears throat> the spirit was given to Abraham. Obviously, it was not in its full scope as it would be later on at Pentecost. But it, you know he had the spirit uh, nonetheless. Ishmael did not. So when we think about the spirit, we know that the Holy Spirit has... The, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit takes place at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. 
So let's go ahead and look at Acts chapter 2 here. Um, <clears throat> and we're not going to read the whole thing because it's kind of a long chapter and I don't want to um, weight us down too much. And obviously you're going to have to talk too. Um, but yeah, so it'll be a lot quicker than this. So, yeah, I know. I thought it was going to be quick too. I was like, oh yeah, I'll just give a basic <laughs> argument. Not, not going to happen. Um, so, you know, the, the, the disciples, they're hiding. They, they just replaced uh, Judas with Matthias. That um, They're up in the upper room praying. And then like a, great rushing wind the spirit spirit is poured out to them right so they are now indwelled fully with the holy spirit um, much like you and i are today and so they go out and they <clears throat> peter specifically preaches this fire sermon like fantastic talking about jesus talking about what he's accomplished talking about how the people have crucified him talking about how um, if they want to be saved they have to you know go through jesus or whatever so then after after he says this the, these people they're like okay now what well, what what, what must we do to be saved so we'll pick up here towards the end of the, the chapter. Now, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So they, Peter doesn't give an altar call. Uh, he kind of just leaves it hanging. So then they ask him, what do we have to do to be saved? He says, you need to repent, you need to believe the gospel, and you need to be baptized. Baptism, um, and we, we all know this, and you'll, you'll make this case, that baptism is the sign and seal in the new covenant. It is the fulfillment of circumcision. You disagree on that part. Um, but it is the fulfillment of circumcision. So he says, repent, believe the gospel, and be baptized. Now, who is to be baptized? You, he says, and your children, and all who are far off. So it is almost verbatim what Genesis 17 says when God says, circumcise you, your whole household, your children, and your sojourners, your your servants, everyone. As many as the Lord God calls to himself. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, let me go ahead. Sure, Keep going. sure. <clears throat> um, but but the point is, he's he's reiterating the covenant, right? He's, he's reiterating what God told Abraham in, in Genesis 17. So... Um, they, they, circumcision and baptism have a lot of the same significance. They're both signs. They're both seals. Um, they both symbolize regeneration. Um, and th there's multiple things that we can go into that. I'm not going to do that for the sake of time. But they're, they're still there. So um, when we look at the new covenant, which is in uh, Jeremiah 31, 31, but I'm actually going to go to Hebrews 8. Um, and the writer of Hebrews quotes... Uh, Jeremiah 31. Yeah, sorry, I'm just trying to turn it um, Hebrews here. So I'm just going to go ahead and um, read what the New Covenant says. All right, so it's shish. I'm in Hebrews 1. I'm in Hebrews 1, 8, not 8, 1. Okay. So it says, um, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. So when you look at the, the new covenant again, over and against the old covenant, there's one real major difference. And, and I didn't read it, but the, the context of Hebrews 8, and you have to even go back to Hebrews 7 and 8, it's talking about Christ being the high priest, Christ being the mediator, Christ fulfilling the Mosaic law. Um, 
and through the mosaic law, you know, through Christ fulfilling that, we we're done away with all these sacrifices and all those other things. But he goes, so now that's the old covenant, you know, that's that's how um, God was relating to His people was through the sacrifices and all that stuff. But there's a new covenant saying coming, and when you look at the new covenant, you're not gonna find anything different within the old covenant. It says, I will make a covenant with the house of Israel. I will put my law into their minds and I will write them on their hearts. Now we know from the Old Testament that they originally had this and then Adam and Eve sinned. And so we have um, the, the Ten Commandments being given twice. So the first time Moses comes down and they're in complete idolatry. And so those are broken. The Ten Commandments are shattered and broken. And that is, you know, a, a type or archetype or a fulfillment of or of symbol of adam and eve the law written on their hearts and that being broken and then he has to go up and he gets another one so the law is written on our hearts we all know that um e even unbelievers you look at romans one the law is written on everyone's heart now it's a little little bit different but you, you get the idea then it says i will be their god and they shall be my people and this again is directly quoting um exodus when god first gives him the ten commandments and he says i will be my, your god you will be my people and he goes on to give them the Ten Commandments. Um, and then uh, they shall not teach each one his neighbor or and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, blah, 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 and least the greatest. And this this right here is a prophecy of the outpouring of the Spirit, um, where, whereas we all have access to God. We're all um, given wisdom by God to be able to know the Lord properly, be able to understand, be able to read the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit illuminate those Scriptures to us. So there's really um, not a difference. So the, the gist of the idea is that circumcision and baptism symbolize the same thing. And just as the children within um, the Abrahamic covenant received the sign and seal, regardless of their um, confession of faith, because there was none, they were to receive it. And in the New Testament, the thing, it stays the same. And we could talk about households and all that stuff, but I'm, I'm going too long. So I'm going to go ahead and give the floor over to you. And we'll probably be able to discuss those more during the question and yeah. answer time. Sure. Um, so Aaron and I have some agreements on some of these things and some disagreements on some other things. I'll be a lot briefer. And part of that is because um, I'm just not going to be able to expound on that in the same way. I was telling Aaron before, um, the, I've really, I've done some research on, on this in the past, really started with the Presbyterian side of things, and then have been recently researching more of the um, Reformed Baptist covenant theology. Um, so it's one thing to kind of have an idea of what you believe, and it's another thing to be able to communicate it. So there's, there's that hurdle there, but... Um, also, I wasn't quite sure what the format was going to look like. So we talked about the notes format are kind of scatterbrained for like but, <clears throat> a month so ago. I'm just, just going to give you kind of a brief um, synopsis of where where I am coming from on some of these things. Um, I believe, as you do, that the covenant of grace was first revealed in the Proto Evangelium of Genesis three fifteen. Um, I do not believe that it was necessarily established at that time. The model for, for Reformed Baptist Covenant theology um, says that it, the covenant was revealed and then progressively by further steps continued to be revealed until it was established in Christ, was fulfilled in Christ. So um, you have all these covenants. Um, you have the covenant of, of works in the Garden of Eden that was transgressed by Adam and Eve. Um, you have the uh, initial um Revelation, uh, small as it was, of the covenant of grace that was promised, that was coming. Um, 
I think the biggest difference between <clears throat> where Aaron and I are coming from is looking at the Abrahamic covenant as if it is synonymous with the covenant of grace. Um, I think Presbyterians, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, see that as the exact same thing as the new covenant, correct? Uh, not quite the same thing, but, but close. And that's why I brought up Galatians 3, because it talks about the promise of the Spirit given to Abraham. Right, right. So the promise is given to Abraham. Um, but I think one thing that is often, maybe not necessarily neglected, but kind of passed over um, by, by Presbyterians, um, or really just Pato baptists because um, I know that Methodists and Lutherans do the same thing, but maybe have different reasonings. Let's limit it to Presbyterians, because I'm not going to defend sure. them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, so, so, so one thing that's overlooked, I think, from time to time is that Abraham is the father and root of, of the Israelite nation as much as he is the father of believers, right? So in the Abrahamic covenant, you have things like land promises. You have the Messianic covenant, or not Messianic covenant, but you have the promise that Messiah is coming through Abraham's line. Um, you know, and then you also have the promise that, um, that Christ is going to come, that, that salvation comes through faith and a promised Messiah, like those kind of things. So there's those, those three aspects of it. And I feel like sometimes it's always just like rooted down to um, the circumcision given to Abraham um, is synonymous with baptism because it is the new covenant. When really, um, when you think about it, like there are other things built in here, right? So the circumcision, like that was a sign of the covenant of land promises, right? That you'll pick up Canaan and all these other places, right? So Exodus 32, 13, Psalm 105, 9 through 11, 1 Chronicles 16, 16 through 7, Nehemiah 9, 8, all talk about um, the land promises when those are fulfilled, that kind of thing. Um, and you have uh, the big thing there, I think you already mentioned it, was Genesis 17, 8, and I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojourners, all the lands of Canaan uh, for an everlasting uh, possession, and I will be their God, right? So that, that's the that's the big thing there. So there are all these other things built into that, that um, covenant other than the Messiah is coming through and faith is coming through um, through your lineage. So that's, um, that's important to understand when you start talking about circumcision being, or baptism being the fulfillment of circumcision, right? Because um, there are all these other things that baptism doesn't fulfill in that, right? So <clears throat> um, I want to go look through, um, I'm just going to read Romans 4, 11 through 12, mm -hmm. all right? He received the sign of circumcision as the seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Right, so it was because of Abraham's faith. Right, God, God made that covenant with him after Abraham's faith. Right, so the purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised, so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also who walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before it was circumcised. So there's that idea of faith coming through the line of Abraham that the the promise of the new covenant was given to Abraham, but it was, but it was not ratified until Christ came, right? So, so anyway, so we believe that, or I believe anyway, that um, <laughs> up, until, up until Christ establishes the new covenant in his blood, that people were under the old covenant, which essentially was the, the covenant of works, if I'm understanding correctly so that's 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 where um i think we would differ on that side of things now the new testament when we talk about baptism um 
I think you would agree that baptism is a New Testament ordinance. Um, we, we can get I, there are baptisms in the Old Testament, and if you want me to talk about it, I can. But. Right. Well, I mean, I don't think that's necessarily like super relevant. I mean, you you would say that like baptism as we understand it is a New Testament thing. Um, you would say you would say that circumcision or baptism is a replacement of circumcision. A fulfillment of circumcision. Fulfillment of circumcision. Sure. Um, here's here's kind of where where I land on that. I don't remember what I was saying. Um, thanks. Um, anyway, you asked. So the new covenant, the new covenant was was fulfilled in Christ. I think that baptism is a new covenant ordinance. Um, that um, when you start thinking about it, I think you're right that you can't just throw the Old Testament out. You know, like baby with the bathwater. But at the same time, you have to allow the two New Testament writers to define the terms of the of the um, new covenant. Right. It doesn't mean it stands alone necessarily, but you can't you can't start backwards and say like, oh well, these Old Testament prophecies talk about this, and so therefore what the New Testament writers say is invalid, that kind of thing. And I don't think you do that, but um, I, I think that that can be part of a hermeneutical problem. Um, I think that the New Testament fairly clearly shows that the candidates for um, baptism are those who have. Um, put their faith in Christ, have given a profession of that. Um, you mentioned household baptisms. We can talk about that if you want. Um, I, th- there, there's reason to believe um, that, that those things, few as they were, weren't necessarily, um, there's no reason to believe that the, that the people, that, the household did not put their faith in Christ, right? So um, you never see the, the apostles purposely giving um, the the sign of the new covenant to people who haven't professed faith in Christ. Um, I think the New Testament is fairly silent on the issue of infant baptism. Um, you would say that that's evidence for Presbyterian or for infant baptism because uh, it's so clear that it was done by circumcision in the Old Testament that now it has to be done like this in the New Testament unless it's stated otherwise. Um, I would say that there's enough evidence pointing to confusion and things like that to, to say that unless we have the apostles telling us that we need to do this, um, that that we shouldn't. Um, in fact, I would even think that that might be a violation of the regulative principle. Um, but I also think that you can't necessarily correlate um, circumcision with baptism. They they were they were pretty different in a lot of ways, right? So one of them was a was a, a blood sign. The other one, no blood was given. Um, one of them was done by households. Now it's an ecclesiastical thing. It's administered by the church. Like there are lo- so there's a lot of differences between the two. Both, both of those are actually well. So not both of them. Um, the second one's wrong. So actually, let's because this is something that you and I will both agree on on why um, the ordinances or sacraments are not. There's no blood involved, and that's because of the blood of Christ. Right. So you've got the Passover, which is the slaughtering of a lamb, and you've got circumcision which is the cutting of foreskin, both draw blood. Um, then you've got Jesus' blood on the cross. So right. we, we move away from any of these blood ordinances to, to other things. Right. So the reason no blood is involved is because of the blood of Christ. Right. And what, what was the second thing that you said? I don't remember. Um, something about... Oh, household ho- versus household, ecclesiastical. Right. So it, it wasn't a household thing. It was you bring them to the priests. Sure. So now um, with Abraham... It, there, the priesthood had not yet been established, um, so, so you do you do have that to to an extent, but you all you were to bring the child to the priest, so it was still an ecclesiastical 
ordinance. What would you say, um, and I know this is kind of a questioning thing, but what would you say about there being no sign from the time of Adam to the time of Abraham? Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure about that. Like you've always got, well, first of all, you do have a sign between um, Adam and Abraham and you have the sign of the um, rainbow, which is a sign of the covenant that God will never flood the earth again saying, you know, I will bring into fruition what I promised Adam. Okay, sure. so so, well, so you, you yeah. do have that, um, and then you still you also do have sacrifices, and we talked about this um, I think during the regular principle one, where you, you still absolutely have sacrifices, and this is more of an an orally passed down thing because we hadn't ha we don't have any written word yet, mm -hmm. so you you still have signs. Um, some people would say that um, like the tree of life was was a sacrament or, or a sign. I'm not. I have no idea anything about that, so I'm not going to comment on it. But you do have people who, who do say there's still signs of the covenant. All right. Well, I just thought I'd throw that out there for you. Um, so I'll, I'll wrap it up here in a minute. Um, so where was I? Oh, yeah. So um, there, there are differences between, I think there are differences between baptism and circumcision um, that show that it is analogous. There are, there are some similarities, but they are not synonymous. Um, and I also think that, um, yeah, okay, you're nodding your head, so you might agree with that. But I also think that the candidates for baptism is, is fairly clearly stated. I'll read a couple things here, um, and, and you might try and make distinguish, uh, distinctions, I guess, from um, those who are given the outward administration sign of being in the New Covenant and those who are truly in the New Covenant by faith. But here is a couple things, just food for thought. So John 1, 11 through 13, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Right. So a lot of times I hear people saying, and this kind of this kind of depends, I guess, on whether you believe in um like federal vision or whether you believe in presumptive regeneration from baptism. Uh, but I hear people saying that like, oh, you know, the nation of Israel, they were brought into the covenant by their lineage, right? By their heritage. Therefore, children of believers are um, automatically brought into the new covenant and therefore they are candidates for the covenant sign. If I'm saying that wrong. I'm, no, I'm, this is okay. your time. I'm trying not to butt into it. No, I'm, it's, it's just, you know, I don't want to misrepresent you. So, if there's something well I would not agree with either like assumed justification or federal vision right no obviously you wouldn't um, so so but I hear a lot of people saying that like just because of their lineage they are candidates for it um, whereas here you ha you have um, clear distinction that those who receive him who believe in his name are given the right to become children of God right not those who are just born um, so I guess you could try and do something with the whole um, they're given the outward sign but they're not really truly by faith in the covenant, something like that. I don't know, by faith in the kingdom. That might be a better term than the covenant. Um, then you also have Galatians 3, 23 through 29. I'm going to read this. It's a little lengthy, so sorry. But uh, it says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of coming faith would be revealed. Right. So I think that's referring to the Mosaic covenant. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Um, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. 
For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, right? So for as many as you who were baptized into Christ, all-encompassing statement, have put on Christ. I don't think you would say that an infant has put on Christ. Um, but it also says, neither a Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no female or male, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And here's 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise, right? So then and only then, if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Mm -hmm. So there's that distinction between Abraham being the father of those who put faith in him, and then there is that distinction between Abraham just having that being the father of the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. can, um, I, can I ask, and tell me if I, you don't want to, can I ask you a question? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So, um, was Ishmael an heir of Christ? Ishmael, he was, let me think here, I'm trying to remember what we're going through here. So, Ishmael was the one who was born um, of the servant right. woman. Right, Hagar. Mm -hmm. Was he an heir of Christ? Right. Did he have faith in Christ? Sure. Yes. He did. Ishmael. I said, did he? I'm asking you, did Ishmael? I don't remember. Uh, no. Okay, then no. So, well, I, I would say no. If you say yes, then that's... Then, yeah, I don't think that you can be an heir of Christ without faith. Okay, so why then did Ishmael receive the sign of circumcision, which... I mean, you, because of national Israel, because the sign of circumcision so Ish, extended more to those. Ishmael was not an Israelite, neither was Abraham. So this is before the nation of Israel, and um, I would like to talk a little bit about the the promises. When that did it happen? Literally right after God said circumcise, and so right. Abraham said, "Is he's part of the household? Is is this the one who you know? I've got Ishmael here. He's like thirteen years old." Is he the one who is to, you know, be my heir? Is he the one who is right. to fulfill these promises? And he right. said, no. Right. He is still to receive the sign, though. Right. So Because the Old Covenant was a mixed bag. It was a mixed covenant. Not just those... The people that received the sign of circumcision were not all um, true Israel, right? So Romans 9 makes a distinction between mm -hmm. those who are true Israel and those who are just of the nation of Israel, mm -hmm. right? He was in the household of Abraham. That's why he received the sign. Mm -hmm. uh, but that had more to do with um, the other promises that were built into the Abrahamic covenant. Anyway, so Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not of the flesh, but of the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit does not belong to Christ, right? So is there a sense in which you can belong to Christ and His covenant and yet not have the Spirit? That's the question. Um, I think there are differences. I think there's silence um, as far as... I, I, don't, I don't think you can correlate... Um, circumcision with baptism just because they show up in the same you know same passage in Colossians 2 um, so I think there are there are differences there in fact I think that that could be used as an argument for credo baptism um, but anyway so I think there's enough differences between circumcision and baptism to say that they're analogous not synonymous that, and um, that the there's enough evidence in the New Testament to say that um, the candidates for baptism are those who have put their faith in Christ and have given a credible profession that you never see the apostles um, purposely giving the sign of the covenant to those who um, have not professed faith in Christ. Um, I'll go ahead and just end with that. Sure. So, so let's let's uh, skip our, our game because we're already almost at an hour. 
Um, I oh, know. Really? Yeah, we're at, we're at fifty five minutes. This is, this is flying for you and I. I hope that the anyone listening is not super bored by this. Wow. Um, and I'm gonna say this: this cast will probably go longer than, yeah. than the normal ones because because I I do I do want to get to the questions because I think honestly that'll be more beneficial right. for people than so. anything. I think yeah. it'll be very helpful for you and I. Sure. So. Um, you want to ask the first one? Sure. Um, what dur- during the New Testament? What is being established after Christ. So in, in the book of Acts, what, what is being established? Um, I'm trying to understand the question. Sure, yeah, that's, that's fair. Uh, what, I'll put it this way, what organization is being established? I don't the like church. that word, the church. Okay. Right. So you have all types of, of new believers, right? Sure. So is it not fair to say then that these are brand new converts um, therefore, you are not going to have infants mentioned. You will have the new converts mentioned, and that's why you don't hear anything about infants. Um, I think that if that were the case, you have you have the influx of Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. I think that one, you would see more household baptisms if it really did go by 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 households rather than just five. Um, and I also think that there would need to be clarification because these people would not understand anything about the old covenant. They mm-hmm. wouldn't understand anything about the Abrahamic covenant. They wouldn't understand like, why are we baptizing our infants? There would need to be clarification in the new Testament of why they would do that. I think that your point kind of has some validity there that the majority of these people that are talked about are probably adults. But I also think that that would bleed down into the children and you'd hear more about that. Right. And so, um, the 3,000 people who were converted on Pentecost were all Jews. Um, and we are given that you and your children and those who are far off. And I think if you do a study on the number of times that baptism is mentioned, you are going to find the majority of them as household baptisms. Why, why do you keep stopping on that passage? Why don't you finish it and say, as many as the Lord calls sure, to and himself? That, and that's fine. And so that's, that's fine. Right. That's okay, and I have no problem with it because that is absolutely true. And as many as the Lord calls to himself, being those 3,000, for example, you are to give it to your children as well. So, If the Lord calls them to himself, that's the qualifying statement. If, if the Lord calls them to yourself, and, and this is why we, we work through the, the Old Testament, and this is why it's, it's very critical that we understand that these are Jewish people who, um, contrary to what you had said, are very well versed in... Old Testament laws and Old Testament passages, which is why they were there on Pentecost to begin with. They are very familiar with it. So reiterating what Peter says, you and your children, comma, and those who are far off and all who are appointed to Christ, Peter is, one, not only saying you're looking back to the Old Testament and seeing how the signs were given to you and to your children. In the New Covenant, the sign is given to you and your children, and this extends past the Jews, past the um, Israel, and it goes to the Gentiles. Is that what you to, believe? To those who are called in Christ. Is that what you believe the term to those who are far off, off means? So, yeah. I mean, okay. to, to, I believe to, that means Gentiles as well. To those who are far off means means Gentiles or, or even Jews who are scattered. Right. Um, so it's your turn to ask a question. Okay, cool. Um, I thought I had more response to that, but it just lost If, if you do, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Um, which one do I want to start with? The easiest one. Okay. Um, 
why don't Presbyterians hold to their own standards of continuity? For instance, in the Old Testament, they would baptize children of non-believers if their grandparents or great-grandparents were put their faith in Christ, were Christians. Or, uh, but now in the um, in the New Covenant, you would. I, I don't know what your church does necessarily. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of Presbyterian churches will require there to be a parent's that is a believer, mm-hmm. right? But they won't baptize a child whose parents are not believers, but maybe their grandparents were. Mm-hmm. So why is there a difference there? Well, uh, that's a good question. Um, I think one is, to one extent, circumcision was an ethnic thing, to, to an extent. So okay. so you're not wrong about that. But but another thing is, we, we are very particular in how we like I don't like the term infant baptism I prefer household baptism okay so if you're not if a child is not in the household of a believing parent or a believing grandparent rather for for this question that child is not under the authority of that grandparent now if you know if I die and um, our baby is born in February and and then we die right after that both Mary and I and Dominic ends up going to Mary's parents then I would absolutely expect Dominic to be baptized. Right. I mean, does that is that helpful? I mean, maybe maybe that's not answering the question. It, it's a really interesting question. Yeah. It. It probably it may not satisfy, but it, does, it doesn't. I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I don't think it clarifies the issue necessarily. That's fine. I mean, if you don't have a, something off the bat, um, it doesn't matter. That's fine. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So it, my turn. Yeah. Okay. And all other covenants in the Old Testament, you have the children being a receiving the sign and experiencing the blessings. So Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. you have the, you know, the proto evangelion, the sea will come from you. You have um, Abel who was this, but then Seth obviously was the one who carried the line. So you've got Seth participating and experiencing those blessings with the Noahic covenant. You have um, God calling Noah and saying, I want you. And he says this multiple, multiple times. I want you, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wives to come with you. So you have Noah's sons experiencing that. Right. When you have um, Abraham, you have his children receiving the circumcision. Same thing with Moses. You have the Davidic covenant where David's children are the ones who are receiving this. So in every single time in, in the Old Testament or Old Covenant, you have the children receiving the sign, experiencing the blessings. Right. Why is it that in the New Covenant, which is, Hebrews calls a better covenant, you have something better but the children don't receive it. How is it better if it's less? Well, if it's more restrictive. Um, I will. Can I? Uh, kind of want to answer that by asking you a question. Um, I won't. <laughs> Why don't you give your best shot to answer it, and then you can ask? Because I, I, I mean, I we're, think, we're trying to be informed. Yeah, I think. So first of all, I think that the new covenant wasn't formally established until the time of Christ, right? So. These children are included in an old covenant. Thanks. Um, but I also think that the nature of the two covenants is completely different, mm-hmm. right? It's a better covenant because it has better promises, um, not necessarily the inclusiveness of the members of the covenant, right? So that's that's kind of my best, my best shot at that. Maybe my next question, I'll just jump to this one. We'll sure. clarify that because you might give me some some feedback on this. Um, what exactly are the benefits of being in the new covenant? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's going to be, it's going to be different. Um, 
obviously one one thing that is different about the new covenant is there is a greater outpouring of the spirit um you have the the gentiles being included unregenerate people um no i mean you you have the spirit being poured out not not in a redemptive sense in what sense and and the sense that um well, one, you see that the law is written on people's hearts. Okay. You, you see that in, Hebrew, in uh, Romans 1. Was that not also, the case in the Old Testament, though? Like in the... Well, yeah. Can I finish answering? Yeah, sorry. Sure. Just... So, so, so the, the question was, um, what are the benefits of the New Covenant? Right. Right. So are, are you asking what are the benefits of the, of the children of believers? If I'm an infant and I'm baptized, mm-hmm. what do I get? Well, one, you get to be in the church. Okay. Right. So, so, so you are a baptized member of the church. So you experience um, being involved with and preaching, and and teaching and and discipleship and being raised in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord, um, being with godly parents. Um, you're, you're limited in to a sense where you do not get to experience communion. Right. Um, which maybe we can talk about later. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't hold to that. I know sure. I know some people do. I just I kind of want to pick your brain on it because I'm not making like a case against or for it. I just kind of want to know what you think about it. Right, but right. Anyway, sure, so. sure. So so you have these um, outward signs for these children. Now, that doesn't mean that they are um, believers. It means that we are following God's command and that we are to give our children the sign of the covenant. Okay. So, so, so they experience many, many of the outward blessings, which oftentimes lead to the inward blessings. Okay. Now, it doesn't. I'm not a baptismal regeneration guy. Right. Um, obviously. Right. So it doesn't. And I don't think you're a, um, a. What was the term I used earlier? Like an expecting, like the baptism means you expect presumptive God, justification. Presumptive justification. Yeah. Guy. No. Um, I I expect that God will fulfill His promises. Um, but I know that God is not obligated to save my children. I expect them that they will be saved. Okay. Like I, I assume that they're going to be saved, but that doesn't, it, they may not be. Okay. Um, can I kind of press into that a little bit more? Yeah, if you want. <laughs> press into that. Oh, sure. Sheesh. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, so all of the blessings that you just mentioned could be given to a child that wasn't baptized. Right, and indeed they are. The right. The difference is, and, and this is why I, I get a little frustrated with Baptists in that they do baby dedications, because it, I, I really sincerely believe that they know that there is something different about their children, and so they dedicate their babies. So it's it's basically a dry baptism. So they're, they're yeah. doing what God calls them to do without going all the way. Yeah, so I don't see any scriptural backing for baby dedications either. Um, I don't necessarily think it's because they see something different in their children. I do think that God will work through, ha- um, you know, households as, as well. Like, obviously, any any child that's born to Christian parents is going to receive um, the benefit. Like, they're in a privileged position of, of being taught, right, of going to a church, that kind of thing. But I don't think that you can limit the blessings of the New Covenant to being raised in a Christian household and being in the church. Um, when I think of the New Covenant, I think of things as like sins being washed away, being adopted as sons, right? Being blessed with all the inheritance of every heavenly blessing, right? First Peter and Ephesians one. So I, I don't, I don't see how those things are limited and I don't see how a, a baby um, can be unregenerate 
receive half of the covenant blessings. Like, does that make sense? No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you. you I, do you I, have a response to that? No, I mean, I have another question. Sure. I mean, I don't want to keep coming back and forth. No, you're so fine. I think getting yeah. through the questions is good. Um, mine is a twofold, if that's okay. Mine was just a twofold. Okay. Um, what does it mean to be holy? Um, depends on the sense that it's used in the particular text. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I meant to do today was to go read the Reformed Baptist exegesis of First um, Corinthians mm-hmm. 7, which I didn't get to. <laughs> so I'll post it in the show notes uh, after I read it. Um, Cheater. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think that there are different ways that it can be used, right? Sometimes I think it's used as justified. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think it can be used as set apart. It just depends on the context it's mm-hmm. used in. So just going to that and... I mean, you just said you wanted to do this and you didn't. What What does Paul mean? I don't know. Okay. I, I can't give you anything. So, on so you, 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 you mentioned sometimes it means justified. Sometimes it means set apart. In what way are children of believers set apart? And, and for anybody who, who doesn't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the passage in 1 Corinthians seven fourteen, where um, Paul's talking primarily about divorce, but he throws this line in there that says, um, if you're a believer and your spouse is not, your children are holy. Yeah. So, that, so that's the word that he uses. So, so my question yeah. is, in what sense are they holy? I, for that particular passage, I don't have an answer for mm-hmm. you. Um, I think in most cases that applies to people that are believers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they are expected to be, like they are set apart as God's people. Um, right. So, but in that particular context, I don't know. Right. What to tell you. Right. And, and can I just get a little answer on that? Yeah. Go ahead. So, I, when Paul uses that, he is there's a difference between status and nature. So the children of believers are holy in status, not in nature. So it doesn't mean that they are um, regenerate people, but it does mean that they are holy, they are set apart, in that they are to experience the covenantal blessings that we see in the New Covenant and, and even the Old Covenant. And, I mean, you, you throw that you throw that around however you want, but I appreciate your honesty. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I knew that was something I really and, needed to and, get and, to. And and again, guys, just because we can't answer questions doesn't mean our positions are wrong. It, it just means we got to study, and honestly, you got to study. Thanks. Um, yeah, uh, I'm just trying to recall what James White said about it because he did like throw something out there in the Bill Bill Shisko debate, yeah. but I can't remember what he said. I'm sure it was it was well thought out. Uh, right, obviously, it's James. Um, so I ask you, what are the benefits of the new covenant? Oh, is it my turn, by the way? Yeah. Um, let's see. So um, infants mm-hmm. of believers are brought into the new covenant by their heritage. And the baptism is the sign. Is that what you would say? Um, by, by, their, by their lineage, I guess. They are brought into the covenantal blessings by being born of believers. But not the covenant itself? But not in a regenerative sense. Right, right, right. So so that's what I was getting. So there are unregenerate and regenerate people in the new covenant. Um, sort of. Like, I, I, I don't think I'd say that that way. Um, you, you do have people experiencing the covenantal blessings without being regenerate. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, but, so how do you experience the covenantal blessings without being in the new covenant? And I'm not saying being in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. That's a distinction I would mm-hmm. make. 
Um, so you so you would have infants that are not regenerate that are in the new covenant mm-hmm. receiving the new covenant blessings, mm-hmm. but are not part of the kingdom. Is that how you would sort of? It? I mean, I, I don't know. I, so Mark chapter ten, um, Jesus is is teaching, and these parents bring their children, and I don't know what the Greek word is, but it is for little children, toddlers, infants, right, babies, right, right, right. and the disciples like get out of here, and he says, no, 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 stop, bring them in here. Because the kingdom belongs to such as these, period. And then he goes on to say, if you want to be in the kingdom, you have to have the mind of a child. The faith, and, of, a child. The faith of a child. Right. right? I think that's the qualifying thing but, there, too. But he is, he is very much talking about these children. Right. Right. And so do these children have faith? Are they able to express that if they're that young? Maybe. Maybe not. Right. But but this is, this is what Jesus says. So... You, so, you you do have you do have infants who are within the covenant the new covenant okay that's kind of where i was getting um and and i don't really want to get into that i think we could argue that one mm-hmm. um because i thought a lot about that passage but it doesn't really matter at this point so there are infants in the new covenant mm-hmm. receiving new covenant blessings does christ mediate for both the regenerate and the unregenerate people in the new covenant He's the mediator of the new covenant. So what does it mean that he Christ, mediates? Christ is the mediator of his people. So he, he is the mediator of his, his elect, of his regenerate people. I don't think that's what Hebrews 8 says, though. It says he's the mediator of the new covenant, which would extend to the new covenant blessings. Um, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old covenant. He mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises, right? So there are promises. There's mediation of the covenant. Um, so in some sense, he has to be mediating for unregenerate people in the new covenant as well. Well, and so this is, this is why First uh, Corinthians is very important, because you have, you have to have categories. Um, and you have to have categories for the new covenant as well. So you have the um, outward blessings and the inward blessings. And you have um, Paul calling the children of believers holy in status, not in nature. So... Christ is not mediating for the sins of people who are outside of the elect. Interesting. However, however, those who are in the church and who are not elect still receive and enjoy parts of the new covenant. But Christ does not mediate for anybody who is not elect. Interesting. That's all I have to say about that. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. No, I don't. I don't agree with it. How I just pretentious! Think it's just. A, it's just a. Sorry, I didn't mean to be pretentious. No, no, no. I'm it's just. just a, it's a. It's an answer I've never heard before. Mm-hmm. So that's. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully that's not a bad thing. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go ahead and read Galatians three thirteen and fourteen again. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree," so that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So one, what is the blessings of Abraham and what is the promise of the spirit through faith? Um, what was the passage again? Galatians 3 verses 13 and 14. Can I look it up for a second? Absolutely. 3, 13 and 14? Yes, sir. Okay, by faith or by works of the law. Uh, okay, I'm familiar with that part of it. Specifically 14. Right, I'm just trying to get a little bit of context. Uh, I'm going to start 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, curse anyone who is on the tree. God by the law. Okay, so righteousness shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So it's a pattern of living. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So what was your question? So my question is, what is the promise of Abraham, or what is the blessings of Abraham, and what is the promise of the spirit? And I guess maybe throw on a third, did Abraham receive the spirit? Um, so first question, I think the blessings of Abraham is that promise of the new covenant that is coming. Um, could be wrong about that. I think that's what it's saying. Um, so so um, the second question was? Similar. What, what was the promise of the spirit? And then the third was, was, did Abraham receive the spirit? Right. So I think that that is saying that Christ fulfilled the promise that was given first to Adam, then to Abraham, revealed progressively over the course of the Old Covenant. Um, Christ fulfilled that when he died on the cross mm-hmm. um, so that now we receive, we actually receive the the, the gift that was given uh, or the promise that was given to Abraham. I don't... Did so, Abraham receive this? Like, yeah, the, so the that's spirit. what I'm getting. So I, I think he did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that kind of like what you said earlier there's a greater outpouring of the spirit in the new covenant Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't think he was without the spirit uh, in the old covenant I don't know how to substantiate that but um, I don't know that's just my thoughts on it so so Abraham was justified by the gospel right Abraham was Abraham and everyone who was saved in the old covenant in the old testament was saved by putting their faith in the promised messiah that was to come Mm mm-hmm and in fact, there's something that's coming to mind. I didn't prep for this. Let me see if it's actually what I'm thinking. So Romans um, 4, or I'm sorry, 3, um, you know, 23. I'll just start there. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith or to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and a justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. And I think that, I, I think, and this is just me riffing right now, but I think that divine forbearance, his patience waiting, is a reference to um, him not counting the sins of those in the old covenant against them if their faith was in Christ. Like they were justified by the future work of Christ. In his, in his divine forbearance, he waited on his judgment till Christ came and paid for that. Does that make sense? Sure. <laughs> that didn't sound like it makes no, no, sense. No, no, I mean, I, I I, don't want to be debating about everything. I just wanted to ask you and let you answer the question. No, but all. did that not answer? I mean, No, I think not? it's fine. It's a fine answer. Okay. It's a fine answer. All right. Um, so... You want to do... You just ask have, one more question. I have two more you questions. Two more questions. Um, all right, go ahead. One of them's really short, and one of them's going to be really, really long. So okay. I'll go with the short one. We're, we're at uh, an hour and 18 minutes. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, are infants under Adam's federal headship or Christ's federal headship? Uh, it depends on if they are elect or not. Uh, you have some who I'm sure are and some who I'm sure are not. So I cannot say yes or no to that because I don't think it's a yes or no answer. I say it's uh, uh, yes to both. <laughs> okay. I'll accept that. That makes sense. Okay. Okay. Was that the really hard one? No. Okay. I mean, that was. I mean, it was the really short one. The really short one. I said one. really short one, a really long okay. one. Okay. Uh, I don't really have any other questions, really. Uh, so you can keep keep going because I want to okay. run out a few. Um, this I'm, I'm going to read a lot to you here, um, but this has to do with why is there silence in the New Testament on infant uh-huh. baptism? So 
I'll just let you answer that first. Why do you think there's silence? Uh, because it's an established fact that when God makes covenants with his people, that their children, as, in, as we see in every single covenant in Scripture, they receive the sign. So the new covenant is no different. Therefore, it did not need to be reiterated. Okay. So that's what I thought you would say. Um, I, I understand that argument. I just don't think it's necessarily plausible because of the following facts. Sure. Um, uh, let's see. Infant baptism doesn't seem necessarily obvious because... It was not an easy transition between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, right? The primitive church seemed to be confused about every little detail concerning the difference between the Old and New Covenants. Mm -hmm. Repeatedly, the Apostle Paul had to correct various misnomers during the transition time. Two epistles were written for this very purpose, Galatians and Hebrews. Uh, with this in mind, it seems strange that the early church was confused on almost every uh, everything related to the Old Testament economy, um, Colossians 2, 16-18. One, one thing that you do not find, however is any type of discussion of children being included in the covenant. You never once find that because it was so incredibly obvious. So there's never Or because they shouldn't there's, be. There's never once. <laughs> and then when you when you look at Galatians and you look at the, the Council of Jerusalem talking about, you know, people having to be circumcised and, and all these things, the question that many Baptists raise is why then did they not say, hey guys, circumcision has been fulfilled in baptism. It's cool. And the reason they didn't was because that wasn't the argument. The argument was you have to be circumcised to be saved. So if they said, hey, guys, baptism is fulfilled, then they would say, well, then you have to be baptized to be saved. So that, that's absolutely not the case. Furthermore, you do not see credo-baptism really being pushed until the 16th century. So you have thousands of years that take place, not thousands, but over a thousand years that takes place without even one iota or even substantial push now you may have sex pop up here and there but not anything significant pop yeah, up about baptism but you can baptism. say the same thing about pedo baptism like it was done but the the covenantal backing for that wasn't established till John Calvin it may not have been but that that like doesn't it was, that doesn't it was a denigrate the regeneration truth. thing i mean it not was, always no not always there there was oftentimes that but in even in even um, with baptist you have disagreements within the credo-baptist position as who is to receive it how is it to receive what's the mode does it regenerate does it not regenerate do you have to get it done over and over again so there's there's differences within the camps on both See, sides but that, yeah that's that's the thing i don't i don't think you can make a case for that though because like even even um you know people like turretin you know who did do some paedo-baptism wrote a lot of stuff supporting um credo-baptist positions i mean there's there's, there's like Charles Spurgeon has writings out there mm -hmm. of like former people that I don't know off the top of my head who sure. pushed this and sure. so like you 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 can't say that like we didn't exist we existed well and I can't it, say it that didn't you guys didn't, didn't exist, exist in the but... sense so let me let me clarify one just in case anyone is wondering creo baptism is a beautiful thing for new converts anybody who is is um, converted and has not yet been baptized they are to be baptized yeah. Um, the, the, the issue is you didn't have anybody really writing against infant baptism until much, much later. I'll let you, I'll let you talk about that in a minute because you're, I know you're going to bring that up here in a minute, but, um, I'll skip the Judaizers. Wow. Dead bugs keep falling all over me. I don't well, know. The doors happening. are open, man. What do you want from me? I guess they're hitting the light. It's falling down on my computer. Um, anyway, well, crap. <laughs> um, let's do one more question to wrap up. Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm almost question. done. Okay. I'm almost done. I got a couple of things here. Um, Although experienced covenant theologians may see the issue of infant baptism as something simple and easy to understand, this was not likely the case for ignorant Gentiles in the early days of the church. 
Gentiles have no former knowledge or uh, of the significance of circumcision. They were not circumcised and knew little to nothing about Moses or the Mosaic Covenant. Mm -hmm. Even before the Apostle Paul laid down the inspired pen, Gentile converts far outweighed the Jewish converts. So you mm -hmm. mentioned the 3,000, but still we have um, writings that most of the Jews denied Christ and that the Gentiles were the ones flocking to the church. Mm -hmm. um, you already mentioned that most of them were probably older anyway, but mm -hmm. um, the early church was full of uncircumcised Gentiles, and yet Pados say that infant baptism was so obvious they didn't need to be addressed. I kind of feel like it should have been addressed. Um, I'll keep going. Male exclusive, uh, exclusivity and circumcision. Um, this was obvious, but um, like at what point was that open to females? And like, why wasn't there an uproar about that? That was a big change. Greater, greater outpouring of the spirit. And again, we already talked about how one sign required blood, the other did not. Yeah, but shouldn't so it be the, at least the addressed by not, the apostles? Um, well, it was in the sense that this is baptism. So... You know, not not to be crass, but right. females did not have the male anatomy. Right. Therefore, they were able to receive that sign. Right. So it's really not an issue. Right. Okay. Um, and then my last thing is just kind of your thoughts on this, because I know this kind of varies a little bit from time to time. But um, you said credo baptism is a good thing, a good, great thing for adults, um, people who have made a profession. A great, great thing for new converts. New converts. Mm -hmm. um, at what point? At what point do you not baptize your children? Like, who decides what age that is? Is it four? Is it ten? Is it eighteen? Sure. Like where's the cutoff? Why shouldn't? Why weren't we instructed on some of this? Just your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, my thoughts on that. I think they're going to vary within the camp. Unfortunately, that's just the nature of the beast. That's just sin. I mean, that's why we're having this conversation now. Right. I mean, and that's why we have so many different denominations is because of sin. Um, I'm not going to say denominations are a bad thing. No, they're necessary. That's, that they're definitely necessary, yeah. and I, I thank God that we, we are able to do that, and we're able to have unity in discussions like this even now. Um, that, that question was? Um, I just am curious, at what point... Sure, right. At what yeah, point yeah. do you say, like, they're old enough to make a profession they understand, we're not going to baptize them? Right. The, the way I understand it, if they're old enough to deny it. So that that may not, that may not be satisfying, and that uh, you know I may say that, and my Presbyterian yeah. friends will will be like, "Are you kidding me?" Because I know it's you you do have some people where it's like they're they're in the household, they have to do it, and I think that that's that's fair. Um, but if if there was someone who was outright denying God and they were they were living an apostate type of life, I would say no. Sure, that, that can't happen. Sure, um, yeah. and I guess the follow up is that what's the earliest a Baptist would baptize? Because I've seen you know three or four yeah. years old. Yeah. Right. So, so it's 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 not as clear cut and easy as I think we'd like to make it. No, it's not. It's it's definitely not. And and Baptists would never would never um, would never make the argument for a perfectly pure church in the sense that there's never someone who's given a profession of faith mm -hmm. that is not truly regenerate. I mean, we just do the best that we can um, to um, pre qualify. You look, you look at a kid, you talk to the parents, you know, you see what is the fruit that, mm -hmm. that they're bearing. Do they really understand the gospel, that kind of thing, and so on and so forth. But I don't really have any more questions. I mean, there's a couple more things, but I'll, I'll let them go. Yeah. It doesn't really matter at this point. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few others. I don't, I've heard this question asked. I don't like it, so I'm not going to ask it because I think it's just not – I don't think it's fair. Um so we so we can wrap up. I mean, this is, is it though. Do you teach your kid to sing Jesus loves you? Yeah, it's such a stupid argument. I, and I mean, obviously the answer is yes. You you, you, you right. do. You, do you, you stop someone you like an that. adult that comes into your church from singing worship songs? Like, no. You hope that God uses that means of grace. Well, I but I would say they don't. They're not actually worshiping. 
Um, they may be participating in the service, but they themselves are, are not. Maybe, maybe we can flush that out later. I don't know. Yeah, I'd, we'll have to, I'd have to think about that a little bit. But congratulations, we have reached the longest cast we hey. have ever done, and I am exhausted. I like it. Um, do you have? I'm going to put a bunch of stuff in the show notes because, guys, this is like we barely scratched the surface on stuff, and I apologize because I really feel like I did a poor job representing the no, you the, did, you did find the Credo Baptist position, but there's a lot of really good resources I'll link to in the show notes. Do you have anything that you want me to link to? Um, I mean, yeah, you can link to them if you want. I think. Uh, one decent place to start is listening to people who are smarter than us. So there's there's a pretty great everybody. pretty much everybody. <laughs> um, James White, who I adore, and uh, Bill Shishko, who I also adore. They have a fantastic debate on baptism. So Bill Shishko is the Presbyterian, and James White's the Baptist, um, and they they both have a lot of really good things to say, much deeper than us. Uh, they draw yeah. it out much more. So that's good. And then a book that I would recommend to people is Three Views of Baptism. Mm. which is sort of a written debate. So if you've ever read any of these um, different type of views books, you've got um, the three views here are credo baptism, covenantal baptism, household baptism, infant baptism, or dual practice. Right. So so those three in the middle were the same thing <laughs> by different names. Right, yes. The three yeah. in the middle were the same thing by different names. So um, one person will make their case for uh, what they believe, then the other two will um, come that. back at it, and then the guy will have a chance to respond to those. And then it just goes through all three. Cool. And and I've read it, and from from what I understand, I mean, I think it's a it's a fantastic book because um, it it represents all three sides very very well. Yeah. So um, and then I can I could throw out Presbyterian books, but I think I think those two are good because sure. you're going to get balanced, and then. If, if you want to keep looking into one or the other, you're, you're going to be able to do it. Just, just sure. do the work yourself, guys. <laughs> Here, here's what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to list in the show notes. Three views of baptism. Uh-huh. Covenants made simple. Christ of the covenants. Well, and, so so covenants made simple and Christ of the covenants, I don't know if that's necessarily fair because those are both Presbyterian Right. Sides. Well, I'm going to do some of my stuff too. Okay. Um, but that's what I was going to do from the Presbyterian side. Um, I'll do the Shisco debate versus James White. Uh-huh. Um, and then the... The three things I want you guys to look at from the Baptist side would be this distinctiveness of Baptist covenant theology by Pascal Deneau. Um, does a really good job of representing the Presbyterian side up front and then um, kind of contrast that towards the back of the book. Second one is The Fatal Flaw by Jeffrey Johnson. Really helpful book. Um, go go ahead and look at that fatal flaw of the theology behind infant baptism. So he looks at the Presbyterian view of covenant theology and then critiques that, which is, I think, the foundation for infant baptism. And then go to 1689federalism.com. There's a lot of great resources there, um, but particularly there's, um, if you go to additional resources, the first thing that's going to pop up is a three-part series um, where it talks about Presbyterian covenant theology, critiques it, and then gives a Reformed Baptist um, covenant theology. And so it talks about baptism a lot there. Really helpful, um, really good for me. I really would have li- wished I listened to it before today. I listened to all three of them today, and so it was kind of like drinking from a fire hose. So I'm going to go back and do that, and I encourage you guys to do that as well. Yeah. Um, so do your own research. Don't count on us. And that's all I have to say yeah. about that. We didn't talk about the mode. I, I didn't Who intentionally. Who cares? I mean, okay, good. I'm on the same page. Yeah, dunk them. Who, who, who cares? Like a donut. Um, you know, or sprinkle a pour. I think all three are acceptable. Um, I'm not going to do the church history. I will say if you've listened to this up till now, 
God bless you. <laughs> Amen. Thank, thank you so much, and I'm, I'm sorry that uh, this was so long. I hope we gave you something to think about. Um, like and review our page on Facebook. Give us a solid review on iTunes or Podbean or whatever cast you listen to. Um, give us our feedback because we would love to know how we're doing. What what are some things maybe you want to hear us talk about, if any, or if you want us to shut up. Um, don't don't say that. Um, you could give us some critique on how we could be better, though. Uh, we're we're sure, always absolutely. we're always wanting to hear that. So uh, until next time, remember every Joe Schmo can grow some more. Mo, peace. peace. That's my line. Back off. Peace. peace. peace.